It's springtime in ancient Israel. The Israelite army is away at war, a frequent occurrence these days, but their leader isn't with them. Instead, the king has deputized his trusted commander, Joab. He has decided to stay put in Jerusalem, and though his army is away fighting for his kingdom, he fills his day enjoying the luxuries of his palace. After a pleasant nap in the mid-afternoon heat, he rises to take a walk along the palace rooftop. As he walks along, taking in his kingdom's capital, he peers down on the many houses below. The shadows grow long as the sun drops lower in the sky and the light paints a magnificent panorama of the thriving city. Just then, something catches his eye. It's a beautiful woman bathing in the shade of a great olive tree. But instead of checking his gaze, he pauses and lingers on the sight of the woman's body, allowing this temptation to take full hold of his mind. Virtuous Man, a podcast devoted to sharing the lives of men of history, fiction, and today, and the virtues they personify. Welcome to our latest mini-pod season. This season will explore the seven deadly sins, a man who personified each one, and the opposing virtue needed to defeat them. Welcome to Episode 4, The Lust of King David. A sin is an immoral behavior that one performs in direct opposition to virtue. To every good action, there is an evil action. For every virtue, there is a vice. Both forces work against one another in the hearts and minds of mankind for the benefit and destruction of humanity. Stories of history and fiction have clearly revealed the truth that while every man is capable of great virtue, so too is he capable of unspeakable evil. This duality was famously summarized in what is known as the Seven Deadly Sins. First listed by Pope Gregory I in the 6th century, and then further developed by Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, the list highlights the key sins in human nature that ultimately lead to destruction and death. This episode's sin is lust. Lust is the overwhelming desire for something that yields physical gratification. The object of one's lust is often forbidden or considered deviant. The desire most thought of when considering lust is that of a sexual nature. Nearly every man can relate to this kind of lust because most have fallen prey to and continue to battle against it. Lust for sexual gratification is a sin that can seem innocent to start but often descends down a slippery slope that can end in relational loss, termination of employment, financial ruin, and even death. We can easily consider some of the most obvious examples of lust, but often ignore the temptation festering in our own minds and how we are just one step away from falling into its clutches. One man who succumbed to such a trap was the most celebrated leader of the ancient kingdom of Israel, King David. In this episode, we'll explore what led to his rise to power and how he nearly threw it all away when he allowed lustful temptation 
to get control of him. King David is one of the most well-known figures in biblical history. It is the Davidic lineage that is considered in the opening chapter of the Gospel of Matthew and is of momentous importance to the claims of his Gospel message, namely the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, would be of the royal line of David. But David, by any human metric, was never meant to be king. Born in Bethlehem in 1040 BC, he was the youngest of eight sons to his father Jesse, descendant of Judah and of Ruth. As a boy, David tended to his father's sheep, but he soon received a calling to his destiny as leader of his people. With the first king of Israel falling out of favor with God, the prophet Samuel was asked to find a replacement from the sons of Jesse. The prophet was told to not consider his appearance or height, but to look at the heart. After passing up Jesse's seven eldest sons, David was summoned from the fields and anointed future king of Israel, and it was said that the Lord's favor came powerfully upon him. After his anointing, David met King Saul for the first time. Saul had fallen into a state of turmoil from what the Bible describes as an evil spirit that tormented him, and David was summoned to play music for the king. David was known as a skillful player of the lyre, and after playing for King Saul and calming his spirit, David gained favor and was made an armor-bearer to the king. Then came his run-in with a giant. The Israelites under King Saul had met the Philistines on the battlefields in the Valley of Elah in Judah. The Philistines had consistently been a thorn in the side of the nation of Israel and each army had occupied a hill on either side of the valley and made camp to await the coming battle. The Philistines had a secret weapon, their giant, Goliath. Standing at a staggering nine and a half feet tall, he was coated in a hundred pounds of bronze armor and wielded a spear with a 15 pound iron point. Goliath stood atop the Philistine hill and shouted a challenge to the quivering Israelites. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Needless to say, no one in the Israelite ranks stood up to accept the challenge. But all that changed when David strode into the Israelite camp with food for his three brothers, who were in Saul's army. The spectacle of Goliath shouting his challenge from atop the opposing hill had gone on for 40 days at this point. But after David heard it, he asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? He then approached the king and rendered his services to defeat the giant. After some hesitation, Saul agreed to allow David to meet Goliath on the battlefield, lending him his own armor. But David, seeing the armor as a hindrance to his speed and agility, left him at his feet, walked to the riverbank and picked up five smooth stones. With his sling in hand, he then approached the giant. The Philistine hurled abuse at David as the two converged, but David responded with the strength of a king. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
Wasting not a second more, David charged at the giant, and before the Philistine had a chance to claim his shield from his armor-bearer, David had loosed his first stone. The stone found its target, hitting Goliath square in the forehead, and he fell face first to the ground with a heavy thud. David then approached his conquered foe, took up Goliath's own sword, and severed his head from his body. With that, the Israelite army was gripped by battle fever, and they charged the much larger Philistine force. The Philistines, seeing their feared warrior decapitated on the battlefield before them, turned and ran. But the Israelite army overcame them, and a rout commenced. It was a famous victory for Israel, and David's stature grew exponentially as the story of his epic defeat of the nine-foot giant circulated the nation. But Saul, hearing David's name on the lips of every one of his people, grew envious and ever more concerned of the threat David posed to his throne from this moment on. Saul would eventually die when the Philistines pursued him and his three sons after a great battle at Mount Geboa. After his sons had been killed, Saul fell on his own sword and killed himself. The path to the throne of Israel now lay wide open for one man, and at Hebron, David was made king of the tribe of Judah. David's crowning did not go unopposed. Abner, Saul's general, took up arms against David's men, but was swiftly defeated. After that, all twelve tribes of Israel came to Hebron to pay homage to David, and he was anointed king over the nation of Israel. David then set about subduing the warring nations surrounding Israel, and had great success in doing so. The capital of Israel was moved to Jerusalem after David's army of 300,000 took the city from the Jebusites in 1000 BC. David's small empire grew and after defeating the Philistines, Moabites and Amorites, the nation of Israel stretched from the Mediterranean coast into modern-day Jordan and from modern-day Lebanon south to the Negev desert. David's faith, courage, leadership, and humility had labelled him a man of virtue to his people. But every man has a weakness, and David's was his eye for a beautiful woman. In addition to his first wife Michal, Saul's daughter, David took six more wives. He was always drawn to the next alluring woman he came across, and this flaw would lead to a great calamity. The entire Israelite army was doing battle with the Amorites, but instead of leading his men in this conquest, David had stayed in Jerusalem and entrusted his cousin, the general Joab, to lead his men. And so it was on an evening when David was where he shouldn't have been, that his idleness and shirking of duty would lead to his greatest and most consequential sin. As he walked along his rooftop palace, Gazing down at the gem of his kingdom, his eye met with the figure of a beautiful woman. She was bathing, but instead of turning his gaze from her nude body, David chose to linger on the sight. Not being able to get the seductive image out of his mind, David then called one of his servants and asked him to seek out the woman. Upon hearing her name was Bathsheba, he sent her an invitation to meet with him in his palace. With her husband Uriah away at battle, Bathsheba met with David, 
and alone, without anyone to hold him accountable to his kingly role, nor his moral calling as God's anointed, David succumbed to the temptation of this beautiful woman. With a burning lust that he had fed and cultivated within himself, he slept with Bathsheba. Not long after their encounter, Bathsheba sent word to David, saying, I'm pregnant. And this is where David descended down a path of utter devastation. With the sin already committed, David doubled down and made the devastating assumption so many since him have made that a sin can be undone through another sin, and another, and yet another. David sought to cover the whole thing up. He sent word for Joab at the front to send Bathsheba's husband home on leave. Knowing what all men crave after a long stint away from the comforts of home, David cleverly implored Uriah to go home to his wife for the night. But David had not accounted for the character of this Hittite. Uriah was a man of integrity, with an intense sense of duty to his fellow brothers in arms, and instead of allowing himself to indulge in the pleasures that were rightly his, he remained at the palace and slept at its entrance instead. When confronted by David the following day, Uriah responded, How could I go home to my house, to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. And so David tried again. That evening, he invited Uriah to partake at the king's table. Having purposefully kept the wine flowing into Uriah's cup, David ensured he was drunk by the night's end and he again implored him to head home to his wife. But even under the influence of alcohol, Uriah remained steadfast in his convictions. After David heard that Uriah again slept outside the palace, he sent a letter back to Joab with Uriah, stating this, Put Uriah out in the front, where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him, so he will be struck down and die. David's lust, which was conceived by the failure to turn his gaze, which then gave birth to adultery with a married woman, which then gave birth to plans of lies and deceit against her unsuspecting husband, had now culminated in calls for the murder of an innocent man. Joab acquiesced to David's command, and as the Amorite defenders came out against his men, with Uriah at the front of the assault, many succumbed to Amorite arrows at the city gates and among them was Uriah the Hittite. David, hearing of Uriah's demise, thought his crafty plan had worked, and he took the widow Bathsheba as his eighth wife. But David's sin had not gone unnoticed. The Lord was greatly displeased with David, and his seemingly secret sin was soon exposed by the prophet Nathan. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, and the other poor. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. 
Upon hearing Nathan's parable, David flew into a rage. The man who did this must die, because he did such a thing with no pity. Nathan replied, You are that man. David then confessed, I have sinned before God. Sadly, there would be another innocent victim of David's lust. Bathsheba gave birth to the son conceived by their adultery, but soon after he became ill, and on the seventh day after birth, the baby died. The death of his son broke David, and he confessed his sin to God. He repented, and in the end he was forgiven. It is believed that it was at this time when he penned the famous words of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Bathsheba then bore him another son. This one would be named Solomon and he would go on to succeed David to the throne of Israel. But although he would be called the wisest man who ever lived, he too struggled with the same sin of lust his father did, boasting a harem of 300 concubines and some 700 wives. Solomon would later chronicle the folly of this life of sexual overindulgence in his wisdom book, Ecclesiastes. David was a man after God's own heart. He killed a literal giant in battle as a young warrior, ascended to the throne of Israel, and ruled with power and prominence. But lust was the giant that slew David. It presented itself with such innocence, but ultimately led to the death of an innocent man and the death of David's own child. Unlike many sins, lust is a sin all men have struggled with, one always crouching at our door, ready to pounce. The virtue that opposes lust is love. There is no place that defines love more succinctly as the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast, nor is it arrogant or rude, irritable, or resentful. It is something that doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Above all, love focuses on others and what is best for them, and rejects feelings of self-satisfaction and envious desires for what is not ours to take. King David was redeemed, and he finished his life writing some of the most influential poetry in history some of which fill the pages of the Old Testament book of Psalms. His son Solomon also went on to write many of the Psalms, along with a book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs. In one of these Proverbs, the words of Solomon, who was no stranger to lust, provide a haunting symbolism for us. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. 
This episode of Virtuous Man was written and recorded by me, Jamie Adams, and edited by Scott Einig. Bathsheba and Nathan Lyons, read by Stacey Adams and Scott Einig. Tune in next Monday for episode 5 of our Seven Deadly Sins series, The Sin of Gluttony. <laughs>